When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming up on today's episode, we get into your questions and comments about our forward rankings with the Jets middle of the pack. Plus, a look back at a near trade this offseason. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, let's get right into it here to close out the week. Good to have you guys back in. Brandon Rewicki here with you with CJOB's Tyson Rewicki once again. Tyson. How are we doing on a Thursday night? Doing not too bad. I mean, we're we're recording this currently at halftime, and we'll catch the second half after we record this. But our boy Zach, cheap shot. Like what? Like what? What does the CFL even think they're doing with the with this quarterback nonsense? And O'Shea challenges it. It's a clear, at least a little bit late, and he gets hit in the head, and. No call. They even challenge it. Don't reverse it. And now you have the MOP out for at least this game, I'm assuming. And like, who knows how long? Like, I mean, I, that just bugs me. Sorry. <laughs> See, <laughs> start the episode off on a, on a bit of a down note, but. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen the, uh, the hit just yet. So I can't, I can't totally comment on it, but I'll take your word for it, Tyson. It's, this is not a good year for the CFL. It's, no. it's they for so long and sometimes valid and sometimes I think unearned have fought the reputation of being a Bush league, right? Like being second tier, but you don't have stats for any of your games. <laughs> that's crazy. Like that's 95. Absurd. Yeah. 95% of your starting quarterbacks are getting hurt. Like it's, it's it's really unfortunate because especially you know as bomber fans this kind of being our our golden age that you know the league should be in a much better position than they are right now and this is this is one of the worst seasons that i can remember in a long time and basically all of it is self-inflicted by the cfl on themselves here the stats thing itself should i mean that should eliminate so much of the guys that run this league because there's, I mean, there's beer leagues that keep more up to date stats than a freaking second biggest football league on the planet. So yeah, it it is a little unfortunate we had to start this episode on on that kind of a note there, Tyson. 
Uh, I'll try to bring it around a little bit before we get to uh, some comments, a mailbag episode from our readers here. Um, but I do want to give a positive shout out um, to a great sandwich spot here in the city. Ooh. I, I don't even know that they're not even a sandwich spot per se, I would say. I think they're mainly known for their ice cream. But I uh, did a little bit of housework the other day. And because I was mildly inconvenienced, I had to treat myself to a nice <laughs> meal. <laughs> so I went with, and I've gotten it a couple times, and I just say it was nice, reliable, tasty. But the uh, the Reuben sandwich from Doug and Betty's. Doug and Betty's knows how to make a sandwich. <laughs> I know they're mostly an ice cream place, and they make really good ice cream. Uh, but every I've got, I got pretty much every sandwich on their menu I've gotten. And the soups are great too, but the sandwiches are just home runs. And the Reuben is, it's a it's a an elite, a high level Reuben sandwich. So thought I'd give them a, a a bit of a love. And if you haven't been, make sure to head down ASAP and get yourself a sandwich and some ice cream. N- nothing beats a good Reuben. Like honestly, sauerkraut is one of the more I don't even know if it's underrated, but I feel like it's one of the more underappreciated toppings. It's like, it's like a good bass in a song, like, yeah. You know, like like in a like when like when a band has a good basis, like you you don't really notice it. It's kind of like under the radar, but without it, it's it it, it just isn't the same. Like that's yeah. what the Reuben is to the world of sandwiches. So I, well, what's your favorite sandwich, by the way? Oh, I might have to go with uh, I'm gonna go with a bon me. Real okay, yeah. I, I can I can get down. There's some really good ones in Winnipeg too. Um, Bon Me King, by the way, if you haven't been, check that out on Portage. Uh, that's it. I didn't expect you to go with the Bon Me. That's a sneaky pick there. It's just the I'm, perfect. I, it's the perfect blend of everything. It's just it's, it's a great sandwich. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you get it with pate normally? I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of pate, but like if if if, they, if it's on it, I'll get it. But I I kind of prefer it without. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I, I kind of like the funk. Like, I, I I can get down with the funk. So if you want to throw the pate on, I'm, I'm I, I'd probably well, well. lean towards that. Um, but yeah, bon is a good one. I just didn't expect you to say that. I thought you were gonna go cheesesteak, but um, cheesesteak's up there. Yeah, I it might I might have to go with the Reuben for me. There's just something about it. I know our our mom used to make it for me all the time. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Like a childhood classic. I just can't let go. Wrapped in the tin foil. Oh yeah, I I don't do that, but I, that's exactly how it was made to that. Oh, I'm gonna have to go there again tomorrow. I have no, I have no choice now. I'll be right back. Let me know if you're going down there. I'll see you at lunchtime. Um, but a couple of questions and comments from our forward rankings that we'll get to in in just a quick sec. Um, bit of a lengthy lead up to the the meat of the episode here <laughs> kind of like a nice you know piece of bread for a sand right like you've gotta you gotta work your way in to get into the meaty part um but I got a little trivia here for you Tyson okay um and, and this is kind of like a choose your own adventure book of trivia here uh so I'm intrigued to see which route you want to take um but the trivia for the day of course NHL trivia I should mention here is I have the stat leaders per decade in NHL history. I've got about 15 or so different categories, and you've just got to pick the stat leader from that decade. Okay. 
Which decade do you want to go with? Let's do 2000s. 2000s. All right. I mean, like some of it's pretty easy. I mean, it, it, I, I guess you only get one guess, so it's actually not that easy. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll we'll kind of go through some of these quickly here. I mean, some of them you're just not going to have a chance. Um, but I mean, do you want do you want to give a crack at who scored the most goals in the 2000s? Yes. I don't think it's Ovechkin. Too early, but that's the only hint I'll give you. I'm gonna go with um, the Ginla. Bang on. Good job. How about how about assists and points? Jumbo. Jumbo, Jumbo Joe. All right. Those are some nice easy ones to get you in. Uh, do you want to <laughs> you're not gonna get it, I don't think at least. Do you want to try games played? Um it's I I'm I know Patrick Marlowe's second or third. That's that's a good guess. Um, but I'm gonna go with uh, Andrew Brunette. Do you what, what do you have this up on your computer? No, I swear, I swear I've done it on <laughs> Sparkle before, but yeah, Andrew Brunette, 729. Uh let's uh let's go to something a little more challenging. I mean shots per game OV, obviously. How about power play goals in the two thousands? Kovalchuk? You're like half right. It's a Chuck. But it's Keith Kachuk. Oh wow, that's a sneaky one there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, once you hear it, it makes sense. But I don't think Keith Kachuk would be like your maybe fourth or fifth guess at the earliest on that one. Um, how about penalty minute leader, Chris Neal? It is Flyers legend Donald, Donald Brashear. Oh, yeah, yeah, Donald Brashear. Um. And then to uh, wrap things up here, I mean, Marty Brodeur is your minutes played and shutout leaders of the 2000s. No big surprise there. Do you want to guess the goals against leader and then the save percentage leader? Goals against, I'm going to guess Nabokov. It's a good guess, but that is incorrect. Do you want to try save percentage? Kiprasov? Also, two good guesses there, but no. Uh, save percentage at 923 is Nick Backstrom. Oh, underrated goalie all time. Yeah, crazy underrated. Um, boring as hell, those Minnesota Wild teams. Maybe that's why, but the <laughs> dude could stop a puck. And then your goals against leader in the 2000s. What some people say, the second best goalie of all time. That's right. Roman Chechmanic. <laughs> Those two seasons are absurd. He just had two crazy seasons with the Flyers. They basically had a mutiny against him because they hated him so much. <laughs> Went to L.A. for like a year or two and then just vanished off the face. Like he just dis- just never played hockey ever again. And his numbers are just like completely through the roof. He was an absolute nut job, but he could. Yeah, he could stop a puck. Not bad. You did pretty good there. I'm, I'm impressed, Tice. I think the 2000s actually is easier than the 2010s. Yeah, I agree. Looking at some of these ones, I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, the 50s and the 40s, but <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Good work. Solid job. You redeemed yourself after starting this off on a major downer with the episode. <laughs> so I appreciate you, you pulling your weight around here. 
All right, let's get to uh, the meat and potatoes here of the episode. Your comments, questions, whatever it might be about our forward rankings for the Winnipeg Jets heading into the season. Uh, myself and Tyson, I had them at, so what is it here, 16? I think you had them at 15. Either way, somewhere essentially middle of the pack. About an average forward group in the NHL. And looking at the comments and, and basically all of the, the remarks, Tyson, there wasn't really a whole lot of pushback on it. I mean, there, there's not really a, a whole lot to say. And I mean, judging by the fact that there weren't a lot of questions or comments either, I, I, I feel like there was a decent amount of agreement on this. Right? Like you might put them two or three spots higher, two or three spots lower, but the Jets kind of are who they are up front. Not the potent unit that they were five years ago, but still enough solid players that they can, you know, put some fear into the opposition. And if some things break right for them this year, maybe they creep closer to one of the top 10 forward units in the NHL. And that sentiment is how we start off our reader mailbag about the forward rankings, because our good buddy Ross had this one for us, Tyson. What would be a good to great season for Gabe Velarde and Cole Perfetti. Hmm. A and this question in a, in a way it kind of like hinges on how good the Jets forward core will be in a big way, because the Jets are putting a lot onto those young kids shoulders, a lot onto their plates this year, basically asking them to be, you know, high level second liners. And I I'm curious to see what you think. A, let's just say a good season for those two would be. I mean, great, obviously, I think would be a point of game. But like, what would be a good season where at the end of the year, you're like, you know what? We feel pretty good about the future here in Winnipeg. Well, for especially for Cole Perfetti, I think a 55 to 60 point season is a good season for him. That's, that, that's putting you right on the edge of low end first line production, maybe just like a high end second line production. But then you know that you're getting a little bit of improvement there in that area with Perfetti just because he's going to be getting that a, a more advantage in the size department, getting used to playing in his body and playing at his stature, and just also getting used to kind of the speed of the NHL a little bit more too. For Velarde, I think a good season would be an 82-game season for sure. <laughs> and I, I'd go with, you know... 50 55 points like a 25 25 season where he's putting up a he's showing that goal scoring ability and that's kind of something that this team's almost lacking a little bit like they have goal scorers and Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor but there's not that secondary guy who's who's known for putting the puck in the net like a like a Tyler DeFoley kind of player like just where he's considered secondary scoring but he's still producing at a pretty high clip so I think, yeah, like in the in those mid fifties, sixties, that would be a good season for those two guys. So last year, Cole Perfetti was on pace for forty eight points, and Gabe Velarde was on pace for fifty three. So you're kind of essentially giving them a ten point boost in production. Yeah, let's call out in and around that. Okay, I mean, my initial reaction to that was kind of like I feel like that's a little low. But maybe it's not that low. Like maybe that is a little more realistic. You know, it's it's funny because you said the thing for Velarde that I actually thought for Perfetti too, 
But I think first and foremost, what would be a good season for both of them is to play 82 games. Yeah. Or at the very least, to have it be 75. And maybe you miss a couple here or there for some bumps and bruises. But I think it's... I, I don't even know if it's more important for one or the other. I Like, it's just... You, like they, They've got to be out there on the ice for the lion's share of games this year. Um, may, maybe... Yeah, I, I think it's equally important for both of them. I don't think you can make a case one or the other there. I think we need to see close to 82 games out of the two of them. For me, I, I I think 60 points has to kind of be, it's probably got to be the minimum for what would be a good season. Like if they're in the fifties, I don't know if I can say, I think that might be like acceptable, but I, I don't know if that's going to be a good season for either one of those two guys. I mean, I, I think they're capable. I think they're capable of doing a lot. And they're if, if they're only getting 50 some odd points the Winnipeg Jets aren't going to make the playoffs they, they they need they need to get a little more out of both of those guys so I, I I think we need to see I we need to see a six at the start of the point column there the nice thing with those two though which is very bizarre a for the Jets and b for young players is you don't really have to worry about their defensive play like they're both pretty damn solid I mean we, we know Velarde's reputation but even Perfetti is out there on the wall, he was he was good this year. Like he held his own. He wasn't getting, you know, outchanced, completely overwhelmed inside his own zone. He's he's a capable defensive winger. So we don't have to worry about either of those two issues for these guys. It's going to be what is the offensive production going to be like? I know power play wise, they might be a little bit limited there. Um, Velarde more so than Perfetti. Perfetti might get a shot on that first power play unit, but. I, I think we need to see 60 points out of those two. So I think approaching 80 games, starting with 60 points, I think if that's the case this year, very, very high hopes for what they can achieve going into next season in the future here in Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean, like for if my opinion, if I was in charge or at the helm, I would this season would mainly be hinging on developing those two guys, in my opinion instead of maybe trying to get take one last crack at the playoffs with Hellebuck and Shifley, I would I would be trying to put those two guys in the positions that, A, we see them in the future, or A, that we see and want them to be in the future, and B, what's best for them in their development at this point. And I think that's giving those two guys decent minutes and having them play with good line mates. And I, I, still, I still believe that they're going to be playing with good line mates and getting those minutes. But there's... There's there's almost a little bit of an added pressure where if this team wants to compete in the playoffs, you're hinging a lot of pressure on two guys who are still relatively young in their NHL careers. And I think that that added pressure can sometimes be a hindrance on a team and forces the, these players to do a little bit too much, focus on things instead of just focusing on playing their game and playing to their strengths. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out too because that second line center battle is going to be an interesting one. I see a lot of people too. Like there, there's kind of that debate where do you put Perfetti at center right away, or do you have a guy like Vlad Nemesnikov start at center? Or because they, Ehlers and Nemesnikov do have a decent chemistry that's been like noted from from Nemesnikov and Ehlers. But with Perfetti, you know, like him and Nemesnikov are pretty close to the same size. Like really, it's not. It's. I, I think some of the concerns about his size are going to be a little bit overblown. To me, it's more of the durability issue and just playing that taxing style over an 82 games. I think he'll be able to handle it, but how, will it be a hindrance on him 
as the season goes on. I'm not too sure. But yeah, I think that the season should have been geared toward development and seeing what you have that pieces that can contribute to you now and in the future. But they're going a different route. And so we'll see how yeah, they I handle mean, the good, pressure. The good thing, I mean, one, you know, pressure also creates diamonds too. So, I mean... Yeah. You, you throw responsibility on this, some young guys and you might find out pretty quickly that, hey, you know what? They can handle it. And we've we've got ourselves a couple of gems here. But I, I mean, look, I, they're going to get significant playing minutes this season. It's not like a Chisholm or a Hanela where there's appears to be a limited avenue towards significant playing time. The spots are just wide open for those two. So I, I think we're more than likely going to see them getting 16 plus minutes a night, some power play time here and there, you know, set of responsibilities, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about, you know, seeing their development path blocked because Shifley and, and some of the other older guard are still here. So I think they're going to be just fine in that regard, but we will have to have that uh, discussion by the time the season gets underway before training camp gets underway, rather about what the ideal forward lineup is should be and maybe what it actually will be when Rick Bonus starts off trading camp. That will be an interesting discussion to be had, uh, which we'll get to in a couple weeks' time. Uh, a few more items to get into here. Tyson, this one from our buddy Byron the Bulldog. Uh, Byron says... Um Byron says, and this is an interesting one, because this might end up being a scenario the Jets find themselves in. But if the Jets are quote-unquote sellers at the trade deadline, should the Jets keep Nino Niederreiter and re-sign him or trade him for the best offer available, potentially nabbing a first-round pick? Uh, trade him. That's that I just wholehearted. Yeah, like I didn't really have to think too hard about that one either. Like I love Nino. I think he's a good player, and I think that he, if the Jets do decide to keep him, he would be a good vet for the younger guys to lean on. But you know, like you're, realistically, this is probably going to be the most Nino's going to be. This is the highest his value is going to be at, at this point of in, in his career. So, I mean, if you can get a first round pick for a guy like Nino, I think you'd be foolish not to take that. What if it was the second? Just a second. I I feel like you'd have to at least get back the value you gave to Nashville to make it worth it. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's as clear cut as you make it. I mean, a lot of it depends too on other moves that you make, right? Like if if it's just Shifley and Hellebuck, then and you're looking to add, maybe add just a little extra more draft capital. And then I could see a guy like, Nino. but if you've already, if you moved on, say a guy like Brendan Dillon, and then even like another piece after Dillon and you haven't moved on Nino, then I, I could see an argument for keeping Nino. But I, I think that regardless, if you're selling Shifley and Hellebuck at the, at before or at the trade deadline, I think there has to be a few other moves made as well. Yeah, it's a tough one because, and the only reason I say that is if, if he's willing to sign, you know, he's 30 years old right now. If he's willing to sign, say, a three, a reasonable three year deal, we know how hard it is to get guys to sign here and play. And he surprisingly is very, very 
open to the possibility of staying here and spoke glowingly about the city. And it's a guy that's not going to, you know, necessarily break the bank for you. It's not going to be a Milan Lucic contract, I would imagine. But if you get him to semi-reasonable terms and he helps kind of usher in the new generation of Winnipeg Jets, I, I there's a lot of value in that to me. He plays the right way. Like, He's he's such a valuable player on any team in the NHL, I think, regardless of contending status. Like, I think for a rebuilding team, that's still like the, this is the the model player that you would like to look up to, to know how to play the right way. I mean, he, he's kind of been through it all too in his career, right? Like, I mean, a, a top five draft pick kind of had to work his way from the bottom of the lineup up there to the top. And then he's been a solid upper half of the lineup player for a number of years now. Like he's, he's kind of done it all there. And I think, I think he'd be a pretty damn good leader on this team too. So I first round pick would be tough to pass up. I will admit that, you know, and especially if he's putting up like on pace for a 30, 30 season this year, uh, it might be tough not to cash in on that. If you're the Winnipeg Jets, but I don't know if it's as cut as dry as, you know, just because we're sellers, we're going to sell every single player that we have here. I think for me, if he's re- willing to re-sign, I might lean a bit more towards keeping him in the fold. That's fair. I think that's you need some guys if you're even if you're a rebuilding team, you, you need guys who can actually play and be a veteran presence and kind of show how to be a professional and how to play in the league. But yeah, it, it depends on the return. And and you and if you you are a seller, Sheveldale would be an idiot to not you know, at least explore your options and see what the market looks like, right? For a guy on an expiring contract. Yeah, well, and because, look, I think a lot of Winnipeggers wanted Andrew Kopp in the fold still. Um, I don't think anybody would redo the trade at this point in time, yeah, right? Exactly. So, like, oh, that's kind of the, the thing that you have to weigh in there is sometimes, you know, it's this guy will be good in the room. This guy's good for us in the future. Oh, wait, who? going to be in the pick and who's the trade we're getting bad you know what he's not that good in the room now that we think of it so interesting though i i wonder what the split would be on that i I think more people would lean towards like just sell 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 but i think there is just in winnipeg specific situation a lot of value in in holding on to guys that that want to stay here don't rock the boat too much all that sort of stuff um we'll see if it comes to fruition that the jets have to make that decision or not but that will be an intriguing one a couple months away. Uh, final one here, Tyson. This is kind of like a three-parter in a way. Oh, baby. And this one this one comes from Andrew. Um, but since we did our team-wide, league-wide team forward rankings, the question is, for the three top Jet forwards, where do they rank by position league-wide when we're talking about Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers. Now I have a list here, Tyson. If you want me to just kind of run it by you quickly, okay? Um, Center is a little bit easier than wing because, like, half the league doesn't know who's a left wing, who's a right wing. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, you can bunch all the wingers together. Like, there's real no real difference, right? Like, when you say who's the best left winger, who's the best right, yeah. I think just best wingers is probably the easiest because let's face it, you play wing, you turn off your brain, you go to the boards, and you skate up and down the ice. It's pretty <laughs> simple. 
but let me give you my list of centermen, okay? Okay. And we'll see if you agree or disagree on this. But I, this might be the easiest way to kind of do this super quickly here. Because I know the NHL Network always does their top 20 centermen lists or top 20 position by position lists. And then Shifley's relatively been pretty high on that over the past few years. But let me see if you agree with this. These are the guys that I have ahead of Mark Shifley with, I think, at least no argument. Okay? Let me know if you uh, disagree on any of these guys. Just jump in and say it, okay? Okay. McDavid? Disagree. (laughs) Hard disagree. (laughs) So we got McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Elias Pettersson, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Braden Point, Tage Thompson, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, Andre Kopitar, Jack Eichel, Alex Barkov, Tim Stutzla, Rupe Hintz, Mika Zabinajad. The, I think the only one that's kind of close is Zabinajad, because I, I think him and Shifley are pretty similar players. Similar players, but Zabinajad has outproduced him point-wise over the past, for sure, two seasons, maybe the past three seasons. Yeah. And yeah, no. is not the defensive liability that, that Shifley, for the most part, has been. But yeah. okay, that, that's fine. So even if we took away Zabinajad, that leaves us with 13 players, 13 centermen that are in our opinion, at least, clearly better at Mark. Like, guys you would take ahead of Mark Shifley at this point going into the season. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think that I think there could even be a couple other names in there that well, are... I've got a few more for you. <laughs> you want to... So here, out of, out of these, would you put any of these guys ahead of Mark Shifley? Evgeny Malkin? Not at this point. Matt Barzell? I'm going to go with Barzell. I think on a different team, he would, he would put up better, better numbers than he does okay. on the island. Elias, Elias Lindholm. Uh, Pretty close. Yeah. I, I'm going to stick with Shifley. Uh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. We'll say Shifley gets the nod over him. Dylan Larkin? I might stick with Shifley. Robert Thomas? Shifley. JT Miller? These those guys are really similar. Like, well, yeah, so even... they're similar, but JT Miller is off back to back like ninety nine point yeah. seasons. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I, I'll, I'll I'll go with Miller there. It's kind of. I mean, what about the Nuge? Yeah, I think if you put Shifley where in in New in Nuge's spot, he put up close to fifty yeah. goals. I think. That, yeah, I I would I would probably agree with that. <laughs> but uh, here's a fun one. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'll stick with Shifley over PLD. Me too, because PLD just took a two-minute roughing penalty while I mentioned <laughs> it. What about uh, what about Marty Nietzsche? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those center wing tweeners. Yeah. And so, like, some of, the, yeah, some of it's difficult. I mean, like, I didn't include Stamkos. Stamkos yeah. is primarily played on the wing the past few there's a few other guys in and around there my main point being best case Shifley's probably like 
the Winnipeg Jets forward group as a whole. 15th? 16th in the league? Yeah. I, that, I was thinking like 18, 19. Yeah, like some, somewhere in the mid to late teens is probably where, you, where you'd put Mark Shifley right now. And there's not the the safety net that the Jets have had in the past with, you know, for all his faults with with Dubois being right behind him there. Uh, but interesting, like the again, the decline, you know, of the Jets forward group as a whole. And Shifley used to be a top 10 guy locking in. Now he's mid to late teens, right? At, at, at best at this point, you could probably make a legitimate argument to have a bunch of those guys ahead of him right now. Yeah. Um, on the wing. So I included all wingers in this Tyson. Here are the guys that I for sure have ahead of the uh, the two Jets wingers, who I actually think are probably pretty close, you know, in terms of like who's better this and that. Like they're they're you know similar, I guess, in terms of production. They just go about in different ways. Yeah. But the two Boston guys, uh, Pasternak and Marshawn. Yeah. Uh, Miko Rantanen, Jason Robertson, both Kachucks, Mitch Marner. Nikita Kucherov, Mark Stone, Kirill Kaprizov. Probably Panarin. Yeah. I didn't like his season last year. Yeah, I mean, didn't like it. He still put up 90-plus points, which... I know, but it, it was... It was sort of like a March Sightly season two years ago. I get it. I get, I, I get what you're coming at there, but if that's it, so, even if we take a, ah, no, I think we should. I think Panarin. Ah, whatever. Let's say we take <laughs> Panarin out of it. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys ahead of Connor and Ehlers. And then you get into, I mean, there's probably like a group of ten other wingers, and I think Connor and Ehlers are in that discussion where it's like. Pick and choose where they go. Yeah, you know, you know what I like. I, at that point, like, there's. It seems to me, at least, like there's a pretty clear tier of wingers in the NHL where there's like the top ten, no doubt about it, guys, and then probably around ten or so other guys that are just behind that, but like legitimate first level talent. And I, I would say Ehlers and Connor belong in that conversation, along with guys you know like a Panarin. Um, who was the other guy that I was thinking of here? Like a Kevin Fiala, who's been great for back-to-back seasons. I mean, Alex Tuck out there in Buffalo. Johnny Goudreau. Johnny Goudreau, even though he had a bit of a down season. Maybe even a Patrick Laine, Alex Ovechkin, Jamie Benn, Bucinavich. I mean, Bucinavich put up crazy numbers last year. Nobody said anything about him, right? Like the, Zach Hyman. Zach yeah. Hyman has crazy numbers that he does every, <laughs> right? Like, so... I think I think to put both of those guys in the eleven to twenty range is is probably fair, right? Yeah, I, I think oh, it's a I, little bit different than the center position where it, I don't really see a whole lot of difference from eleven to twenty. Where, where do you see uh, Willie Nylander in there? I think he's in that group. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of like what you said with. I forget which centerman that you are like putting Shifley instead of Nuge and he puts up yeah. similar numbers. I think if you put Ehlers in, in Toronto, it's probably the same, yeah. relatively the same point production there. So I, yeah, I, I would, I would throw him in that mix too. Um, but it's again, it's not as 
overwhelmingly positive for the Jets in that front, going back to a few years ago where it was Connor Ehlers and Blake Wheeler all thrown into that conversation. I mean, line A2 when all four of them were here, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it just, it, it kind of as a whole, not, not necessarily a problem with the Jets, but just kind of an under-the-radar issue in a, in a sense, in that everybody always seems to talk about, oh, the, the explosive Jets forward group, the explosive Jets forward group. Like, they're, they, they score their, one of the better forward, like, no one's as electric as Winnipeg, right? Like, that was the, the message going back a few years ago, and it's kind of just continued, but, like, unchecked. Yeah. And I, it, it's just, it's not the case anymore. Like, there's been a number of teams that have leapfrogged them and have brought new guys into the fold that are just more explosive, more complete players than what Winnipeg has to offer. And I think it kind of just speaks to an overall, I think, organizational philosophy issue where they could get away with having a underwhelming defense core and leaning on Connor Hellebuck when you had four, five, maybe six elite high-end players right yeah that's not the case anymore (laughs) like you have you have three not really like crazy elite but like three really 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 good forwards depth behind them but not as much impact as of right now blue line is a bit better with josh morrissey leaping up to superstardom question marks behind it and then Hellebuck having to hold down the fort again that I think that's how this team has gone from trying to contend for the top of the division to being a bubble playoff team right now it's just yeah. the fact that, that, the, that there's talent offensively no doubt about it nowhere near as talented as they have been in years past yeah and you could really tell that this four group is just lacking that one uh, one extra dynamic talent preferably down the middle too like if you added a guy who's in that that top six range i mean you would do that to any team obviously they're gonna look a lot better but like if you added a top six center though to this team you'd feel a lot more you feel a lot better about the way the lineup's constructed but you're just really lacking that high 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 end level talent on this forward group and that's the toughest part those those are the toughest guys to get right like and you're only going to get them either from getting really lucky in a free agent picking you or you get lucky in the draft. And so one way it seems a lot easier for this Jets team than 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 the other. So we'll yeah. see what we'll see how this all unfolds. Yeah, well, hey, Velarde puts up 70 points and <laughs> Selkie numbers down the middle, then that 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 would go a long way. I I I could get, I could get down with Velarde being Winnipeg's Nico Heischer, if you know what I mean. And Perfetti, Jack Hughes. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> not, not even Jesper Brad. If he, if he could be a 100-point <laughs> centerman, that would that would certainly help out. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff there, Tyson. <laughs> and if Colby Barlow can come out of camp <laughs> and give this team 20 and 20, no. <laughs> Uh, do like to thank everybody for their comments, um, sending those over to us. We really appreciate them. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to hit us up, we're happy to put out any of your questions, comments, remarks 
on the podcast for any of our episodes, but especially for our rankings ones to help us out. Um, but yeah, just hit us up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki, at Tyson Rewiki, at Skates Plates Pod. And uh, we're happy to dive into those. And thank you to Ross, Andrew, and Byron the Bulldog. <laughs> See if Byron hits us up next week. Well, we continue our ranking series because that's going to do it for today's episode in the week. And we'll get back at it to kick off next week, Tuesday morning, with a look at the defense group. Can the Winnipeg Jets climb the rankings or will they fall a little bit further down? Or is it mushy middle once again? Well, we'll find out. We'll see how the back end does. Um, see if they rank higher than the Jets forward group. Is that a crazy statement? Oh, well, tune in Tuesday, find out. And then Friday, we'll get into your questions and comments once again, this time about the Jets blue line. Uh, until then, though, that'll do it for the week. Thank you guys listening for once again to another episode of Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. CJOB's Tyson Rowicki with us once again. We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday morning. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe and have a good time, everybody. Peace.